Do you think it would have worked if just one of the cows went on strike? No. Why not? Because not as many people would see it. Farmer Brown has a problem. Not only have his cows taken up typing, but they've used their newfound skill to put their hooves down. The barn, they say, in typewritten notes tacked to its door, is cold. And unless Farmer Brown supplies them with some electric blankets to help them brace the herd against the biting chill, well, no more milk. Not one to be cowed by the threats of cows. Farmer Brown lets the herd know it's a no-go. But then... The hens cluck up, too, hatching a plan to join the cows. No blankets, no eggs. What is a Farmer Brown to do? Hi, I'm Sarah DeBacher, your host for Little Voices, Big Ideas, the podcast that organizes itself around the idea that children's picture books build solidarity and allow us to have collective conversations, brothers and sisters and grown-ups alike, about the big ideas that strike chords in all of our hearts. This season, The Big Deal of Democracy. Each episode, we explore a story with themes like justice, liberty, and speaking truth to power, or speaking moo to power. Today, Doreen Cronin and Betsy Lewin's Caldecott award-winning book, Click Clack Moo, Cows That Type. Published in 2000, this barn raiser of a book uses anthropomorphism, that's when non-human things like cows take on human characteristics like announcing a milk strike through typewritten notes, to help the youngest among us understand labor movements. <laughs> okay. I, I'll stop. No, I probably won't. <laughs> Joining the herd, I won't stop. Joining the herd today are my brothers and sisters in book love, children's book author and historian Freddie Evans. Hi, Sarah. Philosophy professor to the youngest among us, Tom Wartenberg. Hey, Sarah. And literacy scholar and writer, Kylie Pulfus. Hi, Sarah. We will also hear from seven-year-old Jojo and his uncle James, and from some familiar voices from season one and just about every darn day of my life, my now nine and 12-year-old sons, Charlie and Robin. We hope you'll join us too. Find Click Clack Moo Cows That Type at your local library and go with us beyond the bedtime story. So y'all, this is one of my very favorite books to read out loud. I know that I have previously made clear that I am not a super huge fan of Rhyme Scheme. However, I am big into opportunities for call and response and really any chance for readers to come together with the read a louder to repeat a refrain, which I think we should just do right now. All together now, click, clack, move. <laughs> click, clack, move. Clickety, clack. <laughs> See, I love how that repeated refrain in this book illustrates the power of many voices speaking together. Click, click clack, clack, moo. Click, click clack, clack, moo. 
clickety clack So ultimately, this book is about a really big idea, which is labor movements, maybe. Tom, you want to weigh in? Yeah, I mean, I think the book is a sort of really great way to introduce young children to actually the power of a strike and how withholding the products of your labor can actually get employers to give to workers some of the things that they ought to have. So, I mean, here what we've got are the, you know, the cows. I mean, again, Sarah mentioned it's anthropomorphic. Um, so that w- what's happening is that the animals are being used as symbols for what's really a, uh, a human uh, situation. Uh, we all know that cows don't type. <laughs> what happens is that the cows and then the chickens band together and because they're able through their united effort to make it impossible for the farmer to sell his products, they can essentially coerce him into entering into a bargaining situation, as Freddie Matt mentioned, where he's got to uh, give them some of the things that are necessary for them to survive. I mean, you know, they're freezing in his barn and they want electric blankets. I mean, you know, again, it's it's humorous, but the point is is a real one that mm-hmm. employers, ultimately the capitalist class, tries to extract as much labor as it can from workers. And it's only through the concerted efforts of workers that some sort of just exchange is able to be achieved. Mm-hmm. I mean, Recently, we've seen some of that, right, where the auto workers uh, were able to get the auto companies who are making record profits to actually share some of those profits uh, with the workers so that they can live better lives. And, you know, it's, it, if a teacher or a parent wanted to, there's, there's plenty of very interesting labor history about the whole development of striking techniques. Mm. But it, it provides the beginning of a discussion about workers banding together and refusing to create products that will just be taken away if they don't get some benefit from that process. Right, right. I want to add something to what Tom said about um, the unions and business and jobs. This was a community that came together. So it's this works, this negotiation and unifying coming together not only works on that level, but also on the grassroots level as um, everyday people in mm-hmm. a community you know, coming together to protest and voice their opinions and negotiate conditions mm-hmm. that will improve their lives. Right. Well, Kylie, let's talk about what moves you about this book. Sorry, I'm not stopping. I'm not going to. Please look, <laughs> lean into it, right? Because it's so wonderful. So the things that moved me, I'm with you, Sarah. <laughs> the things that moved me were similar to the themes that have been discussed already. The idea of um, advocating for yourself, coming together as a community, striking together. But what I loved, absolutely loved about this book is that they put it down on paper. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. So they wrote it. Right. And there was an intentional audience for their words. And as a scholar, I study literacy education, but writing is my jam. Like I am really into creating learning spaces in which young people 
have the affirming instruction they need and the skills to become strong writers. Because unfortunately, writing instruction is not given the attention that it needs Mm. in spaces, but we need writing in our lives. And I have said this a number of times that reading is access but writing is power, Mm. right? And so when we learn to read, we can comprehend books that are so lovely and right and like, oh, I understand when I read this, but the person who has the power in the situation is the writer. I use Sarah Broom as an example. Sarah Broom wrote that really beautiful book, The Yellow House, right? Mm -hmm. About her home growing up in New Orleans. Only one person won the National Book Award for that, right? Mm -hmm. Millions of people read the book, but one person (laughs) won the National Book Award for it. So who in that situation has the power, the real power? And so when our young people and when our or cows or hens or whatever (laughs) get together and have a conversation and then put it down on paper and then present that to the world, change can happen. Words change the world. Mm -hmm. Who has not heard a song, read a book, listened to a speech, watched a commercial, right? Mm -hmm. Saw a movie that really, after they experienced it, after they accessed it, right? Read it, comprehended it, didn't feel moved by it. We want our young people to be able to be the ones who are putting those words out into the world that change it. And so I appreciate this book Mm -hmm. and that it shows the power of what can happen when not only do you band together, but you write down what you're feeling and you can make some very serious moves. Do you mean move? I'm sorry. (laughs) Let me say that again. You can make some very serious moves. Well, you bring up an interesting point about, uh, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you, draw you into this conversation, because we've been talking throughout this season of the podcast and in the previous one about ways to access big ideas by reading together and talking about the ideas found in children's books. But there are other ways to get to those big ideas. And I think one of the things that strikes me about this book is how it can also lead to a conversation about the power of writing and a conversation about how it is that we communicate our needs, not just through a collective voice, but uh, through the use of language that other people can understand. Ultimately, yes, this book is pointing out the power of articulating what your needs are through written language those notes that are posted on the barn door. Let's listen to my demanding children um, (laughs) talking with me. These, of course, will be familiar voices from season one. It was Robin who joined me uh, largely in conversation on on an episode the previous season, talking about where the wild things are. And today, you'll largely hear from Charlie, who is um, the same age as Robin was back then. Here's me and my demanding children talking about click, clack, moo, cows, that type. You want to read the note, Charlie? Dear cows and hens, there will be no electric blankets. You are cows and hens. I demand milk and eggs. Sincerely, Farmer Brown. What do you think about that? You are cows and hens. I demand milk and eggs. It's fair. I mean, that's a fair argument because, like, cows and hens are not really humans, so. 
What? Isn't that the fair argument? I guess that's their purpose on a farm is what Charlie's trying to say. Oh. They're just cowmen's. Oh, yeah. I that seems more like an observation than, than an argument or a demand. All right, so I guess those are the opening arguments, and you can literally hear that they're already starting to argue with one another. One of the things that I think is um, interesting about this book, actually, is, and it's the way that I began this conversation with the boys, is to think about taking sides, you know, whose side would you be on, which is what Charlie was engaging with there. As always, our objective is to get the books into the hands of families. And so let's listen to another family talking about Click Clack Moo. This is seven-year-old Jojo and his uncle James. If you had a farm and you had cows that provided you milk and chickens that provided you eggs, and then they decided not to do that, would you give them electric blankets if they demanded it in change for milk and eggs? Okay, so if they start doing all that stuff again that they should be doing with milk and eggs, I would definitely give them electric blankets. But good thing I'm never going to run a farm because that's actually pretty boring. <laughs> what? Well, it's it boring. Well, it doesn't have to be a farm. Just imagine if you were running a factory and... I'd rather be a DJ. <laughs> okay. If you were a DJ and so you got these people that made songs for you all the time, but then you didn't ever pay them and they decided that they weren't gonna give you songs anymore. Would you listen to what they had to say about why they wanted to get paid for their songs? I would pay them because they would definitely need some money for something. <laughs> you can hear there's almost like negotiations occurring. I love how committed James is in that clip to drawing Jojo out and to, you know, I mean, it, Jojo's probably like, what's up with these animals? Right. You know, I mean, it... I what I appreciate about Uncle James, and I have my own Uncle James, is that Uncle James made it concrete for Jojo, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Jojo is like, I'm not going to be a farmer. What does mm -hmm. this have to do with me? <laughs> right. And he said, well, what if in fact, I'm not going to be in a factory. What would you do? Mm -hmm. Right. I'm going to zero in on you as a human and you tell me how is this relevant? Like, I'm going to make this relevant to who you are. Right. I like DJing. Cool. Got it. Now I know the analogy that I need to put in front of you to make you understand how to transfer DJ Jojo to, you know, Farmer Brown. And so I really appreciated how Uncle James stuck with it, because I think often that is what our young people need to take an idea that's really abstract to them, mm -hmm. make it personal and relevant. And when we do that, then they're like, oh, right. this is how it would impact me. So now I see how it impacts other people. Right. Yeah, I love that. Thanks, Kylie. What do you think, Charlie? Do you think striking is a fair way to go about getting what you want? Yeah. Why? Say like someone is, uh, someone has a job that where they get paid really terribly and they do a lot of work for it. So let's say they go on strike and, I'm, and that person's like, they go on strike because that person wants more money, even, even that they're doing a lot of work and they're not getting the money that they deserve. They're not gonna keep doing that work because there's no point in doing it if you don't get what you deserve for doing that work. Do you think it would have worked if just one of the cows went on strike? No. Why not? Because you need more people for it to be like something larger. Like say like 
all the cows are in the barn and one is like, I don't really want to do this work anymore. They're still like, the farm can still run because Farmer Brown still gets milk. Like nothing really terrible happened if one cow was like, I don't really want to do this. So not so much herd mentality here, <laughs> but the power of the herd. I don't know. Of course, I can just sit here and talk about how struck I am by the brilliance of Charlie, but I don't know if anything stood out to y'all about that particular exchange. Well, I think he was brilliant because he talked about the power of numbers, and we know that that is true. Um, even when you look at unions or even communities that come together, and when we look at the protests of 2020 with the Black Lives Matter movement, we see how expansive it was, how it extended even beyond the borders of the United States. And that spoke to the power of numbers and uh, how effective it was. And so this is, again, what Charlie is talking about. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I think he was clever. <laughs> I agree. Good job, Mama. Thank you. Right? If you ever need some affirmation, listen to this clip and it'll, it'll brighten your day. But I also think that what's really lovely, because I've listened to these clips earlier before I come in. Um, in the first clip that you played, when you're talking to Charlie, you sound a little bit surprised when he says it's just cows and hens, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that this shows the proof of the importance of needing to have continued discussions mm -hmm. and how as you discuss, your thoughts start to form a little bit more mm -hmm. and you become clearer on what you have to say. Because the, to me, the child who says they're just cows and hens in the first clip would not say this really beautiful thing about cows and hens coming together and they deserve this and they got what they needed and whatnot. And so allowing children to really get through what it is they want to say and you having these really important scaffolded questions. Well, mm -hmm. let, let me ask you this one. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me ask you this one because I know who you are and you just need a little bit more time to form what it is you're trying to say. Look at the brilliance that happens mm. when we give children the time and space to really think about and come to the idea that they want to share with us. Yeah, I think one of the things that we haven't talked about that Charlie says is that when the cows start withholding milk, that forces Farmer Brown to see how valuable they actually are. Mm -hmm. And before that, he truly thinks he doesn't recognize the contribution that they're making to the farm so that their action, it's not just sort of that they're forcing him to do something that they're getting him to perceive differently, to, him to understand that they are making valuable contributions that need to be recognized. And I think that's really important and insightful. Let's listen to my kiddos and uh, me talking about whose side they're on. Suppose you got to vote. Whose side would you be on, the farmer's side or the cows? Mm, I guess. Farmer's side. Actually, no, 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 the cows, the cows, the cows. You sound like I guess the cows want what they want, so, and that's I mean, pretty justified reason. Like, if it's winter, then it'll especially be pretty cold at night, so. I don't really know how expensive electric blankets are, but like, I guess uh, it's not that crazy of a demand, sort of. What do you think, Charlie? Robin thinks it's not much of a crazy demand, I mean, it's so he's not, on the cow side. Not you only said... is it like a huge demand, but it's also a reasonable demand. They do a lot of work. They have to, like, they have to get themselves milked every day, which is probably painful and boring. <laughs> so uh, Let's hope not, but it, it, uh, I imagine that sitting around being milked 
pretty grief. pretty boring, possibly painful. So, and they're not getting anything out of it. So. Yeah. <laughs> They yeah. sound so much like you. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Huh. No, I hear it. The discussion went on from there, and I pushed him a little bit because maybe an electric blanket doesn't seem like an extreme demand, but y'all, they're electric blankets, and this is a farm. You know, like if I were Farmer Brown, I'd be like, look, we can talk about some hay. But electric blankets, those are expensive. They're a fire hazard. So we kind of got into it around what makes something reasonable or unreasonable. And yes, we have a lot of conversations like that. <laughs> and the ducks demand, you know, for a diving board seems like a good example of a demand that you say well, that, that's not really reasonable because it doesn't meet a fundamental need. I mean, in the terms of the book, you know, they're the cows are cold and you can sort of say, well, you know, no cows have electric blankets, you know, mm. but diving boards for ducks, really? <laughs> um, I, I think one thing that makes this book so interesting is that we go in and out of reason. <laughs> right. What's, what's reasonable, was not, what's logical, was not, you know, what's realistic, was not. What a gift it is to have the ducks and the kids among us remind us that what feels like a need for us might not be what feels like a need for, you know, a nine-year-old, a 12-year-old in Robin's case. They do need, as their brains are developing, to have access to play. Thank you so much for striking out with me as we explored Click Clack Moo, Cows That Type. Big thanks to Jojo and James and to my boys, Charlie and Robin, for being along for the strike. Thanks to, to Freddie, Tom, and Kylie for your contributions to the movement. No, really, I'm, I'm, I'm stopping. <laughs> if you would like to see pictures of today's featured families, including mine, or if you'd like to check out other episodes of Little Voices, Big Ideas, please visit primetimefamily.org. Primetime Family Reading is an initiative of the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities. Primetime's podcast, Little Voices, Big Ideas, is made possible by the generous support of the Community Foundation of Northwest Louisiana, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, and the National Endowment for the Humanities. Theme music was composed by Sam Galbiand. George Ingmeyer is our producer. I'm Sarah DeBacher. The views expressed in this episode are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our funders or the endowment board or staff. The end. Tell me again How the people tell their stories And who did what And where and when Uh-huh mm. Tell me again The one from start to finish And tell me where Do I fit in Uh-huh Oh, I see. Yes, I get it now. Everybody's got something to say to each other. Everybody.
everybody's got something to say to each other. Ready? Click, clack, moo, click, clack, moo, clickety, clack, moo, click, clack, moo, click, clack, moo, clickety, clack, moo. Come on, Charlie, click, clack, moo, click, clack, moo, clickety, clack, moo.